morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is God's word. Um, I'm very happy to be here and certainly humbled to open up God's word to you. Certainly not under these circumstances. be good to have Brandon here. I met Brandon a couple years ago at our church. We host a uh, preaching workshop in February, and we met then, and uh, we've been uh, friends since then. I've gotten to know him through coffee and lunches and so on, and uh, he's been a good brother, a good friend to me. Uh, We both kind of came to the New England area about the same time, uh, two, two and a half years ago. Um, uh, Just a little bit about me before uh, we look at Romans chapter 8. I'm married. My wife, Jenny, she couldn't be here this morning. She's working in the nursery at church. Um, and uh, my daughter, she's about 16 months. Her name's Emma. We have an Alaskan Malmute puppy as well, who uh, is essentially our second child. So, uh, we're again, I'm just very happy to be here, very grateful to be able to open up God's Word to you. It is a privilege to do so. If you haven't already, you can open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to tell you a little bit about one of my friends. His name is Kyle. Kyle and I grew up together uh, in Michigan. That's where I'm from. And we lived together in the dorms at uh, University of Michigan where we went to school for three years. Uh, Kyle and I had a lot of things in common. We had common interests. Again, same hometown. We both became Christians uh, around the same time when, during our teenage years. We shared a lot of uh, memorable moments. Most of those moments were, were very fun and silly and uh, ridiculous. Some of those moments were difficult, and I want to tell you about one of those difficult moments this morning. It was during my sophomore year in college, I received this call from Kyle in the middle of Christmas vacation. He was experiencing some some very intense, excruciating neck and head pain. Medicine hadn't touched this, the doctor had no clue what was going on. And this began a three-year season where Kyle visited countless doctors. He uh, underwent a barrage of testing. He tried lots of different medicines. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Doctors didn't know. I remember coming back from my class on several occasions, actually, to find Kyle in our room weeping. And I had no idea what to say. As a young man of God, this trial, as you can imagine, really, really, really pushed Kyle. He asked a lot of questions. He wanted answers, right? Where was God in all of this? Was there going to be any relief from this 
chronic pain? And would that relief last? Suffering is the one common and perpetual experience of humanity, right? Everybody suffers. People across history, across culture, it doesn't matter what kind of society you grew up in. If you're a human, you suffer. You suffer loss and grief and heartache and disappointment. Suffering can look like mental illness. It can look like chronic pain. Suffering can look like relational betrayal. It can look like the persecution that comes from holding fast onto your faith. Suffering can look like losing a loved one far too early. It can look like the devastation that comes from a hurricane. We all suffer. And when we do, we desperately want firm ground underneath our feet in order to survive. And the world... The world doesn't offer firm ground. The world, when we suffer, the world offers good sentiments. The world offers redirection and escape. The world offers false hope and humanity. It doesn't offer firm ground. But we don't want band-aids when we suffer. We don't want something temporary. We want something permanent. We want new hearts. We want new bodies. We want a new world. That's what we want especially when we suffer. So the question for us this morning is, does Christianity, does it offer firm ground for those who suffer? Does the Christian gospel promise that everything sad will come untrue? As Samwise Gamgee once said in Lord of the Rings. So let's turn our attention now to Romans chapter 8. If you haven't turned there, you can turn there now. Romans chapter 8. Someone consider this chapter the greatest chapter within the greatest letter ever written because of the hope that Paul conveys. And I would agree. Now, in a crowd like this, there's bound to be people here that are hurting, that are struggling, that are going through some kind of trial. My prayer in the last couple days as I put this message together is that God will give you a, a big bear hug through this passage that God would convey to you his singular love through this passage. And if you are not hurting today, if you're not suffering today, I pray this passage would give you a a sort of theological ballast in your boats so that as you encounter the storms of life in the future, you're going to be nice and steady. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we need you now to speak to us. We don't want to hear from a man. We want to hear from our God through this passage. So speak. You know where each of us are at. You know the struggles, the difficulties, the questions, the confusion that we may have in our hearts. Father, would you love us today through this passage? Would you prepare us for future storms through this passage? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, to set the stage, I'd like to read a couple of verses before Romans chapter 8, verse 18, which is going to be the start of our passage. So look with me at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, 
that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's a pattern to the Christian life. Suffer now, glory later. And this mirrors, of course, Christ's life, right? He embraced the cross first and then he got the crown later. We have the same life of cross now, crown later. And our passage, which we'll get to in just a second here, is going to offer three important truths for suffering Christians, for Christians that are embracing the cross life now in preparation for the crown life later. So three truths. Here's the first truth found in verse 18. Incomparable glory is coming. Incomparable glory is coming our way. Let me read verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This passage doesn't just teach that future glory, when you put it alongside present suffering, is just a little better. Here we see that our suffering, our present suffering is essentially trivial, inconsequential when you compare it with with what is coming our way. Now, we may think that Paul is incredibly callous and insensitive and totally out of touch with reality when we hear that. But then we remember what Paul went through. Do you remember what he went through? Second Corinthians 11. Listen to these words. Five times I have received, Paul says, at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, and so on and so forth. Paul is speaking from personal experience. He has walked the suffering gauntlets. So it may surprise us then to hear his words in 2 Corinthians 4, which is very similar to verse 18 here. Our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. According to Paul, our current problems, our current struggles, our current difficulties, they are light. They are tissue paper problems. They are cotton ball trials. Light stuff like chronic pain with no answers. This is light. Small trials like never being married when you desperately want to. Light stuff like uh, like people not liking you because you're a Christian. Light stuff like uh, losing your job or losing your home to a a hurricane or battling cancer or battling through a difficult, painful marriage or battling yourself. The same sinful tendencies that you dealt with 10 years ago. Here they are again. This is light, feathery stuff for Paul. Now, if Paul were here this morning, I think he would pull you, brothers and sisters, and me in close, especially those of us that are suffering. And he would say with tremendous compassion and tenderness, he would say, your trials are only light and momentary when you compare them with the future glory that is coming your way. So what is this future glory that will capture us and arrest us? What is it? Paul gives us a clue in Philippians 3.21. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So part of this glory that will capture us and arrest us is we're going to get new bodies, resurrected bodies. 
And we're still walking around today with bodies that grow old and weak. We have bones that break and immune systems that allow disease. Our bodies have chemical imbalances in our brains and muscles that grow frail and fail us, right? One day, we're going to get new bodies without any disabilities, without any disease. New bodies. New bodies with new faculties, new bodies with new capabilities. This is part of the glory that is coming our way. But this glory goes further than just new bodies. It also includes what John saw in Revelation chapter 21. Remember this vision? John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. So, yes, we get new bodies. Yes, we get new bodies, but we also get a new universe. We get a new world and we get a king, a new king who is going to rule with his people in that new world. This is what we want. This is what is coming our way if you are a Christian. Friends, do you have this vision of incomparable glory before you? If you are going through a trial this past week, this past month, or perhaps for years, it is so vital that you have this vision of future glory before you. That's our first truth. Incomparable glory is coming. But if this glory is in our future, what do we do now with our suffering and trials? What do we do now? This brings us to the second truth, verses 19 through 23, the heart of our passage. Now we wait and we groan. Now we wait and we groan. I'm going to spend the bulk of our time in this section. Let me read the passage for you. Verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. My mom is an exceptional baker. And uh, growing up, she made these incredible cakes, homemade cakes, homemade icing. And uh, as a kid, my stomach would, as you can imagine, groan and grumble as I would walk into the kitchen during dinner time. Now, groans, they tell us something, right? There's frustration in our groans. There's also anticipation in our groans. Isn't it interesting that Paul says here that creation is groaning? Such heavy groaning, in fact, that he compares it to childbirth. Verse 19, the creation waits with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, the word here for eager expectation is a curious one. It literally means to stretch the neck or to stretch your head towards something. So in this passage, creation is stretching its neck to see when God's children will be swept up into glory. It's almost like creation is on tiptoe. You can almost see trees and plants and rocks and and hills and planets and galaxies all together, stretching to see, straining on tiptoe, waiting for the children of God to be revealed in glory. But why? Why is creation frustrated? Why this groaning? 
Notice verses 20 and 21. Creation is enslaved. When Adam and Eve came and when they sinned in the beginning, it brought a curse to the whole creation. And now creation is subjected to frustration, verse 20, which means that it can't fulfill the purpose it was created for. It's also in bondage to decay, verse 21, which means it is enslaved to this corruption. It's like creation is in a cage and it's trapped. It can't be what it's supposed to be. Creation is waiting for God's children to be glorified so it will be set free. So it will be free from the curse, free from the cage. Now, something is something bigger is going on here as we look at this section of creation groaning. Suffering is not just my story. Suffering is not just your story. We are a part of a groaning that the whole creation is experiencing. Suffering is a global issue. It's not just a personal issue. I think we understand this really well. When bombs went off in Boston several months ago, this is what we felt. Our whole city is grieving. Our whole country is grieving together, right? Suffering is a global issue. It's not just a personal one. Now, of course, the creation isn't the only one who groans after this glory. Believers, too, are groaning. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I want to highlight an important phrase in this verse, and then we're going to kind of work ourselves out from that phrase. The phrase is this. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. What a baffling, complex thought. On one hand, Paul says that God's suffering children groan. They groan. They feel pain. They feel injustice and loss. They feel unfulfilled desires. They feel the consequences of their own sin. And so they groan. Makes sense, right? But God's suffering children, they don't just groan. They also wait. And they wait with eagerness. God's children know there's something more coming. And so right alongside creation... The church is on tiptoe, waiting for glory. Now, one of the things this passage does is give us permission to lament. It gives us permission to lament. It gives us permission to say with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? How long will you delay? How long will you tarry? It gives us permission to weep. It gives us permission to mourn for ourselves and others that are hurting. Did you know that? Of the 150 psalms, 50 to 60 could be classified as lament psalms. So the church's first hymnal and prayer book expresses lament. I don't think this is something that the church is good at. I don't think we know how to lament well. Sometimes we think that it's unspiritual to groan. It means we're not trusting God. It means we're not really waiting. We don't really believe God's promises. And yes, there is a kind of lamenting that can be void of trusting God. But in this verse, in verse 23 here, this groaning is different. It's the loud, honest cry, God, take this away. This is too much. I can't handle this. Mingled with a quiet conviction that even if he doesn't, it's going to be okay. 
It's found in that desperate prayer. God, I feel so betrayed by this friend. I ask for your justice. I ask for your comfort. Bring some relief. Reconcile our friendship. But even if you don't, I am going to trust in your goodness. There is a distinctly Christian way to lament. There is a distinctly Christian way to grieve. It's a real groaning, but it's fused with real hope. I notice that this inner phrase, groan inwardly, wait eagerly, is modified by two statements on either side. Look at verse 23 again. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, here's the first modifying phrase, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, church. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've tasted and we've seen the goodness of Christ. As believers, we've enjoyed the benefits of the gospel. We can sing together in Christ alone and we revel in its truths. We have new life in Christ. We've experienced forgiveness and love. We have a new joy. We have a new peace that passes understanding. These are the first fruits. We have a new family called the church. Jesus saves us from our sin, but he also saves us into a new community. Westgate Church is a local expression of capital C Church. These are the first fruits of the Spirit. When my mom would bake those cakes I was telling you about earlier, two things would drive me crazy. One would be the smells, smells that would waft through the kitchen. The other would be the morsel that she would give me, a little, little bit of cake she would give me before dinner to hold me over. Well, it didn't hold me over. <laughs> those smells, those morsels, they drove me crazy because they made my stomach groan even more. Right? It made my stomach want the full meal. Brothers and sisters, God has given us spiritual smells. He's given us spiritual morsels to enjoy. He has given us the first fruits of the Spirit, and they should drive us crazy with anticipation of the full meal that is coming. Now think of the few times when you have gotten a peek into the glory of Christ. Maybe it was when you converted to Christianity. Maybe it was uh, there was a time when you were in these very pews and you were listening to a sermon or, or singing a hymn. And there was no doubt in your mind you were experiencing the very real and powerful presence of Christ. Maybe it was in the quiet moments of prayer and scripture reflection in your home that just left you in tears. These are instances of the first fruits of the Spirit. These are down payments that God is investing in your life and they are designed to give you a foretaste of of glory that is coming. We've got to cherish these moments, right? We've got to cherish these moments of worship and awe. One day, these wonderful moments of worship and awe and joy, they're going to be our default setting. They're going to be what we experience every day and in every moment. Now, this brings us to the second modifying phrase in verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Here's the second one. For adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We wait still. 
We've been adopted into God's family, but we haven't received all the benefits of that adoption, namely our resurrection bodies. So on one hand, we have this new life in Christ. We have the benefits. We're enjoying the benefits. On the other hand, we don't have the fullness of new life in Christ. We live between two worlds. We straddle two ages. We've received the adoption papers, but we're still waiting to get picked up. We live in that already not yet tension that fills the pages of the New Testament. And so what do we do in that tension? We groan inwardly and we wait eagerly. That's what we do. Now, I want to give you two simple exhortations to take into your coming week. That's rooted in what we've been talking here. The first is this. Enjoy the smells and the morsels. Enjoy the smells and the morsels. Don't forget how far Jesus has brought you. Don't forget what he's given you. Don't forget all of those blessings that you have, Christian, in Christ. And ask for more. Ask God for more of Christ. Ask him for more. And when you meditate on these smells and morsels, which again are designed to give you a foretaste, your faith in future glory will grow. And this is what we need, especially those that are suffering. So enjoy the smells and morsels. Secondly, help each other to enjoy the smells and morsels. Help each other to enjoy the smells and the morsels. What is your role when someone at Westgate Church is suffering? What is your role? Do you step away because you don't know what to say? Or do you lean in? New Testament Christianity knows nothing of isolation, knows nothing of wholesale privacy, knows nothing of relational tidiness. There is an assumption in the New Testament when it speaks of biblical community. And the assumption is this, messiness. It's going to be messy. And the exhortation that comes out of that assumption of messiness is get into the mess. That's what the New Testament one and others are all about. Get into the mess. Wrap your arms around each other. We desperately need one another, especially when we're suffering. And one specific strategy as you're doing that, help each other, remind each other of the smells and the morsels. So, incomparable glory is coming. Now we wait and we groan. What exactly gives us the strength to wait? Is it my ability? Is it your ability? Is there something intrinsic in us? This brings us to the final movement in our passage, to our final idea, and that's found in verse 24. God will carry us through. God will carry us through. Our confidence ultimately rests in God's ability to sustain us. I want you to watch the first or a few words in verse 24, the first sentence here. It is powerful. For, Paul says, in this hope we were saved. For with this future glory in mind, you were saved. Do you hear, Do you hear the promise that's behind that? We could say it this way. We were saved with this incomparable glory in mind. Or, Let's flesh it out even more. Jesus died so that believers will eventually get swept up into this incomparable glory. 
There's a beautiful, precious promise and encouragement here, especially for suffering Christians. Jesus didn't just die for your conversion. Jesus didn't just die for your spiritual growth and your spiritual progress. Jesus died to get you from the beginning of your life with him through the present struggles of today and into incomparable glory that is coming tomorrow. That's why he died. So in this short little sentence, God is promising that if he began that work in you, if he started that work in you, he is going to see it through. He is going to see it through. And that means seeing it through every ounce of suffering that you will encounter. He will carry you through. Be encouraged. So where do we get the strength to endure everything from the run of the mill inconveniences to chronic pain with no relief to God forbid horrendous evils that may come our way? We get it from believing this great promise. God is going to carry us through. We don't get it when we place our confidence in our ability to grit our teeth and bear it. We get it when we place our confidence in this unshakable, irrevocable promise of God to get us through present suffering and into glory. He's going to do it. So three truths that we have seen in this passage. Incomparable glory is coming. Now we wait and we groan for that glory. But it's ultimately God who is going to carry us through. We began our time together with the question, does Christianity offer firm ground and real lasting hope? Does everything sad come untrue according to the Christian faith? I think Paul would answer and I would answer and I hope we would answer together. Yes. Firm ground, where does that begin? Firm ground begins with the gospel. Our hope as Christians begins with Jesus on a cross sinners that's where this hope was secured for us jesus came to restore the whole universe now if you're here this morning and you're not a christian but you're seeking out christ you're getting to know church you're getting to know this christianity thing i'm glad you're here i'm glad you've been able to see how christians think about suffering And I want to invite you to consider Jesus. That's the first step. First step in experiencing and getting caught up in this restoration project that God has begun in Christ is getting to know Christ. It's turning away from your sin and turning towards Christ. It's believing that Jesus came to die for you. My friend Kyle, his firm ground was the gospel that he received at a young age that he held on to through those three years of confusion. And after he was diagnosed and after the medicine started to work, he still holds on to these truths. He believes that incomparable glory is coming. Even so, he is waiting and he is groaning. But he believes that God will carry him through. In the middle of Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel, The Brothers Karamazov, two brothers begin this fascinating discussion about the existence of God 
and about the presence of suffering in this world. Now listen carefully to what one brother says to another. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, of the atonement of all the crimes of humanity. Let's pray. Father, we long for this moment of eternal harmony that is coming. Father, we long for it. We wait for it. Father, we praise you for being a God who carries us, who sustains us, who loves us, even though we may not take away these trials. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ that has secured this eternal moment of harmony. Father, would you give us strength, those amongst us especially that are suffering, would you give us strength to endure? We love you. We love your son, Jesus. We are so thankful for the first fruits. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.